I think I've mentioned it before, but I sing once a month at two different aged care facilities. It can be quite difficult. I find it quite difficult because you can't necessarily trust or I can't necessarily trust the feedback. So I can't really know quite often whether they like it or not. And I just have to keep singing, hoping really that what I'm doing is giving them pleasure. But the last time I sang, I did feel a bit more confident and I put a lot more emotion into it. And it confirmed for me that singing brings me true joy. It's probably the closest I probably get to spirituality. And just before Christmas, I started French conversation lessons. I lived in France when I was 24, and people back then used to say that I was bilingual. I knew that I wasn't, but still my French was so much better back then than it is now. And I've realised that I don't like losing my fluency, and so I decided to do something about it. My teacher is so picky in the good sense. And what it's done is it spurred me on to listen to the French news again. And I listen to as many French podcasts as I can. I haven't told my teacher yet, but my plan over the next 18 months to two years is to sit for the highest exam in French, the dreaded C2 level. It's the one where you're as close to a native speaker as you're ever going to get as a foreigner. So you can imagine how hard it is to pass. Where am I going with this? What I've done is I've identified what brings me true joy and then I've done something about it. Given that it's New Year's resolution time, you might be interested in doing the same thing yourself in setting some career goals. And my recommendation is to do what I've done. First, identify what brings you joy and ensure that you get a regular fix. Second, have a self-development plan that stretches you even though it may take quite a while to come into effect. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st century. I'm a career practitioner who's worked with thousands of clients over the past 20 years, so I've had quite a bit of time to think about career stuff. Each fortnight, I'll pick up on an issue that takes my fancy. Some issues will be very practical, such as episode 8, where I talk about 10 words or phrases that damage you both at work and in job interviews. Other episodes will cover more big picture topics. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about 12 specific career issues that should help you to be happier at work and that you may want to select from to form your New Year career resolutions. Number one. Work for an organisation that you can rate highly for honesty and integrity. There's a fundamental career analysis that you can do, which is to rate what you need at work to be happy. There are about 50 separate items and they range from practical issues such as whether you prefer to work on the frontiers of knowledge, which is possibly what an academic would choose, or more feeling type items such as whether you need to form close relationships with your workmates which is something that I think is important to my sister, Julie. It's not so important to me, by the way. In the exercise, you end up selecting your top seven values out of these 50-odd items, and these are the ones that are absolutely critical to you. And what I've noticed is that lots of people choose honesty and integrity as one of their top seven items. When I do the exercise, I never choose honesty and integrity. Now, this may seem odd, but what I've concluded is that these qualities are so obvious and so important to me that I would never think of staying in a place where they are lacking. 
I thought about how important this issue was when I read an article in the Australian newspaper about employees of the ANZ Bank. When it came to their finance division, nearly three quarters of employees said in a survey that they were afraid to share bad news with their boss, quote, due to fear of repercussions. Perhaps as a result of this feeling, a lot fewer people at the ANZ Bank said that they, quote, rarely think about looking for a new job with another organisation than they had in the previous year. To me, this is, this is quite awful. Imagine what it must be like to be one of those people turning up to work day after day. What about you? Are you staying in a place where they don't behave well? I'm not a psychologist, but it just can't be good for you. So if your place of work lacks honesty and integrity, make a resolution to dust off your exit plan and get out of there as soon as possible. Number two, fix up your resume. There was a scandal in Adelaide last year about the way one of our government departments hired someone for the state's top IT job. Now, if you ever wanted proof of how important a resume is, this is it. The powers that be at that department selected just three people to interview from 66 applications based, quote, purely on CVs. Unfortunately for the department, the woman they hired turned out to be a fraud. But that's not the point I'm making here. Would your resume have landed you in that top three pile? If not, January is a great time to work on it. You're probably back at work, but you're probably not doing your normal tasks. Why not make a resolution to research what a great resume looks like in your country and in your field of work and get started? Number three, update your LinkedIn photo. The defence lawyer of the woman in the case I just spoke about apparently stated that the department staff should have realised she was suffering from a mental illness. The lawyer said you just had to look at her LinkedIn profile because she had superimposed the photo of a famous model on her LinkedIn profile. Presumably the staff at the department didn't check the applicant on LinkedIn, but if so, they are extremely unusual. Everybody checks you out on LinkedIn when you apply for a job. So what does your photo say about you? And the theory is it should make you look both likeable and professional. This is such an easy resolution to tick off your list. Even if you can't afford a professional photographer, research advice about whether to stick that chin out or not. Take about 20 or so photographs. One of them should be good enough. Number four, rate your soft skills. Time and time again, I recommend to clients that when they're negotiating their salary in their new job, that they ask for an executive coaching program. Most people are surprised when I mention it. Most of them don't currently have an executive coach and most of them don't seem to know much about it. Soft skills are actually the hard skills and the days of command and control are long gone. How well do you think your fellow staff members would rate you on a 360-degree feedback analysis? If you've got any doubts, think about some executive coaching. But it's not just for people who need to, inverted commas, fix themselves up. I used to offer this service and I called it making the best better. 
So it's not necessarily remedial. And there's heaps of research about how top organisations around the world implement this very expensive program with their top talent because they want them to develop even further. If you already have a coach, I recommend you change to somebody new after about 18 months or so because the danger of staying with the same person is that it starts to turn into a same-same talk fest. Somebody new will have a different perspective and they'll inevitably focus on different aspects. So make a resolution to put your hand up at your current organisation for some executive coaching. Number five, improve your selling skills. My least favourite work is helping people to perform better at interviews. I find I spend most of the session quite worried because I have to make a constant assessment about whether or not to alert my client about an error that they're making. I have to make a judgment call because interview performance is underpinned by confidence and if I'm not careful, I may help them make a slight improvement in their technical ability but actually undermine their confidence. So it's this endless balance I have to make when I'm working with people. So you can imagine how pleased I was a couple of months ago when I actually wasn't needed. One of my clients was so outstanding at interviews once she grasped the technique. However, we both knew that she would face two separate killer questions in her quest for a new role because she was moving to a different industry and she was moving from being CEO of a 150-person organization to being a possible CEO of a 1,600-person organization. So we took ourselves off to a coffee shop and we plotted a strong response to both of those issues. So one is, you know, why should we hire you? You don't have experience of our industry. And why should we hire you? You haven't led large teams. We plotted a response in a very detailed way. And the message I think I'm making here is even if you're very good at interviews, there's no harm in being better. How well would you answer ordinary interview questions, let alone a killer one? So for goodness sakes, make a New Year's resolution to invest your time and energy in improving what is the career equivalent of a life skill. Number six, review your need for your boss's friendship. One of the most interesting articles I read last year took the view that there was no moral requirement for your boss to like you and that you should basically get over it if he or she doesn't. A corollary of this is for you to assess what sort of vibe you send to your boss if you don't like her or him. It's almost certain that she will pick up on your feelings and to me that is not a great career move. So have a think about it. Does your boss know what you think about her? If you think she does, and if you think she thinks that you think negatively about her, then you need to make a resolution to behave professionally or else find a job with a boss whom you respect and like. Number seven, improve your connectedness. Once you've missed out on an internal job, it's too late to wish that you'd networked better with your colleagues. And once your job has disappeared, it's too late to regret that you're not well known in your marketplace. So ask yourself, how well known and well respected are you within your organisation and in your marketplace? This is an easy issue to fix with a healthy dose of ruthlessness. No one else is going to look after you, so you need to look after yourself. I'd like you to stop endlessly devoting yourself to your organisation. 
use a combination of LinkedIn activity, internal chats, attendance at professional forums, lunches, coffees with current contacts, and professional development sessions with your professional body. If you are not regularly approached by others in the marketplace to come and work for them, make a New Year's resolution to implement a strategic marketing plan. Number eight, review your bitterness and negativity. How often do you say negative things about work, whether it's about people or the processes? We've all seen those people who carry workplace bitterness around them for their entire life. What an effect it must have on their health and their relationships, their family, and of course their own happiness. If you think your colleagues don't notice, you're deluding yourself. Even if they agree with you, they don't really want to be around you, and you're likely to be the very first person selected to go in any restructure. So what's your workplace happiness score? If it's seven or less, make a New Year's resolution to get help. The issues may lie with the organisation, in which case you know what I'm going to recommend. But just watch it's not a pattern of behaviour that you take with you wherever you go. That's much harder to deal with and you'll need to invest in the experts, whether it's a life coach, an executive coach, a career coach or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Number nine. Consider moving to another industry. A recent Harvard Business Review study of over 2,600 leaders, where 45% had suffered at least one major career blow-up, like getting fired or messing up on a major deal or mucking up on an acquisition, well, this study highlighted that 78% of these executives eventually made it to a CEO role. The article focused mainly on how these, inverted commas, career failures found their next role. Not surprisingly, 94% of those who landed a new job within six months had prior experience in that industry. The message here is that you would be well advised to get experience across two to three different industries very early in your career so that if you want to move on, you've got multiple industries to rebound in rather than being pigeonholed into the one industry. How many sectors do you have under your belt? If it's just the one, then take note that it's very dangerous and make a New Year's resolution to pick up some skills in a related industry, which is by far, of course, the easiest way of moving from your current industry. Number 10, respect your suppliers. There's a famous book by Frederick Reichold called The Loyalty Effect, and it took the position that truly great organisations treat three groups of people well. Customers, and I suppose you're not surprised by that. Employees, and again, that's pretty obvious. But the third group he added was suppliers. From an organisation's point of view, it makes sense but there are benefits for you as an individual too. New jobs will often emerge from your current suppliers. They know other organisations in your sector and they can act as a conduit to a new job. If they know, like and respect you, they will help you. And many of my clients have picked up work from suppliers once they've lost their current role. What would your suppliers say about you? If you think your score would be less than 8 out of 10, Make a New Year's resolution to do something about it.
Number 11, assess the longevity of your industry and of your skill set. I sometimes work with people who really struggle to get a job because they work in a field where jobs are fast disappearing. Just think about secretaries, for example, how many of them still exist these days? So each year, and again, January is a great time to do it, do a detailed scan of the advertised roles in your region, in your technical area. Identify the trends. If these jobs are on a downward trajectory, it's time to get out of that technical field. And it's also time to talk to experts about which area to move into and how to do it. Consider changing your technical skills. The most logical place would be to extend your skills in your current technical field. So for example, if you've only got basic Excel skills, learn how to be better at Excel, learn how to do pivot tables or learn how to do V lookups or even macros, and then look at related areas. If you're already an advanced Excel user, you might want to investigate data analytics, for example, as an area to move into. So if the sun is setting on your industry and skill set, make a resolution to do something about it. It might be like my plan to pass the C2 level of French. It might take you 18 months or so. But if this is your reality, it is not going to go away. So the sooner you start, the better. Finally, number 12, rate your resilience. In my experience, those people who fare best when they've lost their jobs tend to be the resilient ones. They seem to have this inner strength and intestinal fortitude to do difficult things, whether it's facing my evil eagle eyes across the table for interview skills practice, or whether it's phoning a stranger for a meeting as part of a job search networking campaign. So ask yourself, have you done anything scary lately? With me, for example, perhaps it's time to sing in front of a more demanding audience. For you, perhaps it's time to speak up more often in meetings. So putting all these New Year's resolution suggestions together, I think this is a great time. We've all just come out of the stress of Christmas and our New Year stupor. In Australia, at least, we madly scramble to finish our projects before the end of the year and the start of the summer holidays. I think we get a double whammy of stress. So realistically, you probably don't want to think about any of the above issues until after that last mouthful of Chrissy pudding. January is the time to do it. Take yourself off to a coffee shop where the music is evocative and the atmosphere is uplifting. Or just sit under the cool shade of a tree. Unclog your brain, free your spirit, and review the changes that you need to make to be happy at work. Then get started. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share the podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm still doing a podcast every fortnight. And next episode, I'm going to turn the tables on you hiring managers because I'm going to talk about how great candidates are possibly judging you and your recruitment processes. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There you'll find a full article on the topic, an infographic perhaps, or maybe a video that summarises the different elements, and there'll be links to any tools or resources that I've pointed out. I'll repeat that, careerconsult.com.au. And I do a mail-out once a fortnight of a video, a blog, or an infographic. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website. This year more than ever, let's end with a hashtag, hashtag 
why not be happy at work? Mm-hmm.